0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like
1: to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Philippians 1. Verses 1 through 11. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the de- defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness
0: Good morning. It's uh, good to see you this morning, I think. Paul mentioned that our pastor is uh, on sabbatical, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, My observation over life is oftentimes pastors get burned out. They just are worked so hard that sometimes, you know, they just get burned out. And I think it is wise that we as a church will actually take give them some time off. He's not going to be just playing around, let me tell you. I've been talking to him a little bit. He's going to be doing some things, but he's going to be refreshed. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Again, uh, I don't know why they started with me beginning of sabbatical, but here I am, and uh, I am glad to be here. Get everything organized here. Um, it's interesting that uh, the songs that were chosen this morning. I uh, uh, it's just just fascinating to me how God works in, this in different ways. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Smile. You can smile back, that's okay. That's good. As I was reading Philippians 1, and I've been reading it quite a bit the last couple of months just in preparation for this, and that this is probably a different message than what I'm accustomed to many, many years ago. Because I'm covering the whole chapter. Paul came up to me and, and said, what are you speaking on, the whole chapter? And I said, yep. And he'll explain a little bit about, about that next week. We actually, during this three-month period, we have a number of different people coming in filling in, so it's not just me. Take a sigh of relief. Uh, we'll have uh, several missionaries, uh, several other men of the church. Uh, we'll have Pastor Andrew filling in. I think the last five sessions or something like that. Um, we have been refreshed a couple of weeks ago with the Life Action Summit. I've been refreshed. I trust that those you're here have been refreshed also. That's good. We need to have refreshment rebuilt. And uh, uh, this is a time for our pastor also to get refreshed. I think it was good for him to be at the summit also. Before we begin, I'd like to uh, just pray and that God ask us to ask Him to really guide our thoughts, clear my mind, help me to speak legibly. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your marvelous grace for your love. Thank you for the provision that you've given us through your Lord Jesus Christ coming in. And as that last song says, ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you, each of us. And I pray that we have come with open hearts. And I pray that those ancient words of your word will touch our hearts and move us. Move us to a sense of your presence. Move us to a sense of commitment. Move us to a sense of obedience that you might be lifted up and adored. Again, thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to get out of the way. And my prayer is like Paul's prayer is that that we would glorify Him. That we glorify you, magnify you in Jesus' name, Amen. I do know that uh, for four of the messages will be from Philippians, and uh, so just you know, maybe you'd like to along with the the Bible reading that uh, Andrew is encouraging us to do, which I think is great, squeeze in a few more minutes to to read some Philippians. I'll be this week, then you have a couple of weeks off from us men, and uh, then I think Paul will have coming in, then we have a a couple of things coming up. But as we think about that and uh, Philippians in chapter 1, a little bit of background about Philippi and the church that Paul is writing to at Philippi. Philippi is located on a mountain pass on the Ignatian Way between actually Asia Minor and Macedonia. It's actually kind of a pass over a mountain range. Um, It's a lead city of Macedonia and it is actually a Roman colony which puts it in a position of prominence being a Roman uh, colony. Paul's first visit to Philippi Philippi, uh, was in the second missionary journey and it was about 52 AD. Um, it was customary, as you have read Paul's writings, that when he would go someplace, especially when you look at Acts, um, he was, when he first entered the city, he'd go to the synagogue, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. And when he got to Philippi, apparently there was no synagogue there. So it must have been Early, I thought that now, there were some Jewish people there, and the reason we can assume that is because where did he go that first Sabbath day? He went to the river, and apparently it was just a, a common practice that if the if the, uh, the Jewish people that migrated to wherever, if there was no synagogue, they would meet by a riverside. So that first that first Sabbath day in Philippi, he goes to the river, and uh, it's in actually. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is really a whole account it goes river and there's, there's Lydia a seller of purple a business lady uh, a lady with some sway in, in Philippi um, it's interesting that that's where their worship service was and that's where he went and she responded to the gospel message she responded and her whole family joined her in that case as we continue on in that very very uh, account in, in Acts 16, uh, the next person that comes to prominence is a slave girl. We don't even know her name, and she has the uh, gift of divination, and her owners were using her to make profit, and uh, she began following Paul around, saying, hey, you know Jesus, and causing a stir, and eventually Paul got upset with her, and all well, upset what was going on, and cast out that demon. I think that slave girl came to Christ. That slave girl came to Christ. The next person that really comes on the scene there in Philippi, because of the slave girl's uh, loss of revenue through to her owners, they got upset. And they arrested Paul. They drug him to the council, and they threw him in prison. Actually, Paul and Silas, both of them. And uh, So there's Paul and Silas in prison. Are they moping, griping, complaining? They're singing praises. They're worshiping. They're worshiping in a situation that I don't know what I'd be worshiping in. And the consequence that night, if you read the account in Acts 16, a a, uh, big earthquake takes place, and and, uh, the doors fly open, and the... Roman guard is devastated. He, all of a sudden, his life is on the line. If those prisoners get free, his life will be taken. That's how serious being a guard was. And uh, so, really, to avoid that, he was about ready to kill himself. And Paul, wait, 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 and he shares the gospel. I'm sure he heard them singing back there. He, he probably knew that something strange was going on. And uh, this Philippian jailer took Paul and Silas to their, his home, trusted Christ. His family trusted Christ. It's interesting, three different distinct individuals are really on display right here. And it reminds me of, of uh, the passage in, in Galatians. God is no respecter of persons. We kind of, oh, all they're here, I'm there, whatever it's at. We read in Galatians three, there is no there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither female or, or male or female. You're all one Christ Jesus. And here's illustrated right there in Philippi. A lady? That's not apparently in Philippi she was well to do and was well respected. But in most Of the localities at that day, the women were almost, yeah, they were lower class. But God, through His grace and Paul, touched Lydia's heart. Then it was a slave girl. A slave, they have no rights. They can be bought and sold, disposed with whatever, whatever the free of their owner. Several years ago, I read a trilogy of, of, uh, of, of Roman slavery in Ephesus, and I was... Aghast, you know. I think, I mean, literally, they had no rights. But God plucked this slave girl, and then there's the Philippian jail, which is, you know, there again, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. Then there's this Roman soldier, Gentile. It's fascinating to me that God chose those three, and the writer of uh, of Acts points out and brings out those three in particular. I'm thankful for God for that. I really am. You and I are here today. I don't know if there's any Jewish blood here. I don't think there's any slaves here. There are some men and women here. But the point is, whether they are or not, we're one. We're one in Christ. Five years after his first trip to Philippi, he returned. And that's located in Acts 18-19, 20. Very little is said about Philippi and what took place then. More is said about Corinth and a couple of other places. But we do know that he was there. Um, but we do know from Luke's writing as well as from the very Philippian epistle itself that Paul had developed a very very close, heartfelt relationship with the believers at Philippi. And I think that's really interesting. Psalm 63 8, and I think if I get this right here, I don't have the verse up there, but that verse that says, um, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. That's the ESV and the NASV. The KJV says, my soul follows hard after you. And that's kind of the, what I'm going to look at today. You know, the heart of a man following hard after God. And I think we see that through the Apostle Paul in this chapter in Philippians. The heart of a man who is following hard after Christ. Paul begins the, um, the book in a normal fashion. Greetings. Uh, Timothy is with him. He mentions Timothy. They're servants of Christ. That word is actually his bond servants of Christ. To the saints. That's you and me. As a believer, do you know you're a saint? Have you accepted that? Sometimes I think we really don't acknowledge that. What is a saint? What is a saint? Saint is a set apart one. Saint is a, a holy one when we've been bought with the blood of Christ and placed into his family, we are saints. To the saints at Philippi, then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase right there is mentioned in every one of Paul's epistles in some form. Grace and peace, grace and mercy and peace. He always greets his saints, the believers, with that phrase, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Except for maybe if you think Paul wrote Hebrews. And some do, some don't. I'm still vacillating. Andrew thinks, yes, I think, well, maybe. you know We've talked about that a little bit. But he does not use that phrase there, which in my mind, well, maybe he didn't write it. We don't know. But the point is, that's a common greeting. So, as we get into this, uh, this chapter... Let's see what we have here. Am I hitting the wrong one yet? Okay. Yeah. The Lord wants men whose, and we look at this, hearts follow hard after His heart. In this chapter, there's, I've kind of divided it into three sections, actually four sections. And the first three sections give us a picture of, I think, Paul's heart as he is following hard after God. And the fourth section is really kind of response to that picture. the lord wants men and women whose hearts follow hard after god so let's take a look at the apostle's heart i'm not getting this exactly right there it is after doing it thank you um and I get that, that word, the aspect of the word heart from verse 7. If you look down at verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, Paul says, because I hold you in my heart. Um, you know, what, what does that look like? I, I think of um, many, many, many years ago before I married my wife. In fact, it was pretty early in our um, dating time. Yeah six months into it I remember the first time I told her that I loved her it's up it was it was at Elk Point Nebraska we were traveling with her uncle and aunt up to Sioux, Sioux Falls for something car went down and so they were they were fixing the car we were across the street in the building that was being remodeled and uh, we were sitting in the old window frame and we were talking and I looked at her and I told her I loved her. I remember that. I keep that memory close to my heart. I keep her close to my heart. That's something we keep close. She didn't return that comment. It was sometimes later. But that's okay. She did eventually come back, come around, you know. But what's interesting, in the last, the last few months, even a couple, three years, with our next month, 52 years of marriage, you know, the ups and the downs and the sideways and this, you know, everything is involved in life and relationships and marriage. We have grown to love each other more and more and more. She is close to my heart. Now, I think of when when, when uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was announced that she would bear the Christ child, and there's little things that go along, the next series of stories, and And lo and behold, she says, she pondered these things in her heart. I think as Mary, she was remembering, she was thinking about the things she kept close to her heart. I can't imagine what she felt when she saw her son, the Son of God, hanging on the cross. She was pondering those things in her heart. Um, Any mother, even if you're holding a... Especially a mother. They're holding that newborn babe. Boy, don't they hold them close. They hold them close to their hearts. I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm holding close to your heart. So as we look at this, the heart of Paul in relationship to following after God, I think that's what we want to do. What does that heart look like? So, Paul's heart for the believer in Philadelphia. In, in, um, Philippi. So we look at that in the first few verses and um, we see that it's interesting Paul didn't steal my thunder but that first verse 3 I thank God upon every remembrance of you You and I think it was very fitting what he said we remember those who passed before us remember those who really paid for the price of our freedom here in the United States pray for those who uh, Uh, In this case, we're thankful for those upon every remembrance. But he says, I always pray in every prayer of mine I am making prayer for you. He's talking about the people in in Philippi, the believers in Philippi. I pray for you. Um, When you hold someone close to your heart, you not only think about them, as believers we pray for them. Um, he prays for them as he thinks about them, he prays for them in verse 4 because they are in partnership with him Uh, sometimes we realize that, I think we don't realize that, you know, as believers, we're in partnership think of, we've had recently, and and Paul mentioned the ABF, the next few weeks we'll be, you know, talking about cultural things, different missionaries and so on, I think next week uh, John Lee is going to be with us Do you pray for our missionaries? We have several missionaries from our church, young people that are are out serving. Anna's going to be leaving here in a few weeks. Another one going. Maybe less than a few weeks. But Paul says, when they're close to your heart, you pray for them. We're in partnership with them. We're in partnership with those missionaries. We're in partnership with Anna. And David and or Phil, and, and, and uh, I think of Parker and, um, and Hannah and this, a number of others. We as a church are in partnership with them. And Paul says, You as Philippi, you're, I'm praying for you because you're part of the partnership. Partnership in the gospel, of the message of the gospel. And furthermore, he says, I pray for your future. Yeah, I'm sure it may be the eternal future, but I think it's even closer than that. I love that verse in verse 6. Um, we can be assured that God has begun a good work and you will complete it. That's a promise. Sometimes I I think, boy, he's got a long ways to go with me, and he does. And sometimes we just think, you know, how can we ever get the place where God wants me to be? How do I get to the place where my heart is following hard after God. But part of the aspect is praying for each other, being partnership with each other. I think of also that aspect of partnership. You know, our pastor is on sabbatical. Are we praying for him? Will we pray for him or just out of sight, out of mind? I hope not. We need to be praying for him for the next two or three months, But we also need to realize that we're in partnership with him. We are. Because our mission is to take the gospel, which we'll see in a little bit, to those who need it. So, Paul keeps them close to his heart. And then you look at verse 8, which I think is interesting. For For God is my witness how I yearn for you. That's not a common word today. Um, I think the NASB says that how I long for you. But I like the word yearn a little bit better because the meaning of that is to have an intense feeling or longing for, typically for someone or something that you've been separated from. Paul has not seen the Philippians now for at least probably 10 years, well, five years, because uh, the second journey was about 57 A.D. The next, he's in, he's in Rome now, writing this epistle, probably about 62 A.D. He has a longing for them. He yearns for them with the affection of Christ. His prayer for them is that they would love that the love would abound. Verse nine. Um, one thing that a couple of the uh, Action Team members mentioned to me after being here for, a, for that week. He said, I love that your church, after the service is over, people hang around. They talk. They fellowship. Some of them even hug. You know? That, that's an aspect of, of um, loving. Loving, loving abound. We need to encourage each other in the aspect of loving each other. He says um, in verse 9 also, uh, that your love may abound, verse ten, verse 9, and that it may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So it's not a love that's fluffy. I think that's important to remember. It's not a fluffy love. That love that we have is one of of... of knowing the other person. Mm. During the uh, during the uh, summit, it was very a lot of emphasis on um, vulnerability. That's not easy. But if we're going to know someone, there's an aspect of being vulnerable, being open, being honest. And also, verse 11, he prays for them that they be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We should be, we should be fruit bearers, fruit of righteousness. When others see us, what do, we, what do they see? Do they see the righteousness of Christ? So, Paul had a deep, heartfelt love, compassion, yearning for the believers at Philippi. Go on to the next section, and um, if we look at that, starting with verse twelve, he says, "I know you. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my that my um, that my imprisonment is for Christ, and so on." Paul not only has a heart for the believers, but he also has a heart for the gospel. And um, that aspect of the gospel is really clarified in this section. (laughs) Where is Paul? He's in prison. He's, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He can't get out and go down to the synagogue or down to the church or down the street and, and, and open-air witness or preach. He is chained to a prisoner. But he doesn't look at that as a, as a uh, hindrance. Not at all. In fact, even though he's in prison, what does he call it? It has served as advancement of the gospel. That's kind of interesting. How often do we, in our lives, think that oh, maybe I lost this job or lost this or this happened in my life? And we we'd look at it and we think oh how how awful. I, I I truly believe that every experience of life is God working in our lives, developing us into the character of Christ. Romans eight twenty nine, He's developing the character of Christ in us, for the purpose of shining light to those around us, of the gospel. Paul's heart was for the gospel. Now, it's kind of interesting because you read the next three verses, uh, 13, well, first of all, we know he's in prison because he's uh, those imperial guards, <laughs> they're chained to Paul. I mean, he's chained to them, but they're chained to him. And he is still sharing his life. He's sharing the gospel of Christ. And uh, God is still using him. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having, more, having become confident in the, in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word. So there's another aspect of, of even under the circumstances, they are emboldened to preach the word, to share the gospel. Paul's heart is for the gospel. So regardless of the circumstances, for this imprisonment, the gospel is being advanced, and others are being emboldened to share the gospel. I keep on touching this. And I'm not used to it. Um, then what's interesting, the next phrase in that whole aspect, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here to, for the defense of the gospel. the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Um, when I think about that, two things come to my mind. Paul does not condemn them for preaching something that's not true. They must be preaching the gospel. Otherwise, he would straighten them out. You look at Galatians, he straightened them out. When they were preaching about the law, adding works to to the message of the gospel, he came right out and set them straight. So those who were preaching with maybe not the best, most motive, in fact, trying to get at Paul, they were still preaching the gospel. He doesn't tear them down for that. He doesn't knock them down for that. And furthermore, those who do do love uh, the gospel and do love him, The point is, Christ is being proclaimed. Christ is being proclaimed. Um, It's not about Paul. It's not about Paul. Paul recognized that's about the gospel. And I think that's something we need to really, really be, uh, be reminded of. Christ is preached, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of those of who preaches it, as long as it's the gospel, and regardless of the motive, Christ is preached. Christ's message goes out. So, the next... Paul has a deep heart for the Philippians. That's a heart that follows after God. A heart that follows after God follows after the heart of the people that he serves and the, and the fellow believers. Paul's heart is is really for the gospel. The gospel is not about him, it's about Christ. And next in uh, verses 19, we'll pick up there. He said, I'll rejoice. I don't care about what, what, who's doing it. I'm going to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers... Now, this is interesting. Before, Paul was praying for the Philippians. Now, he's acknowledging they are praying for him. And I think that's where it behooves us to realize our part in the whole partnership that we have with God. We have a partnership. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my ear expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as was always Christ, be, Christ be honored in my body. And I think the point is there, Paul's heart for Christ. I need to get attention to my person back there because this is not working. There we go. Paul's heart for Christ. Now, this is really interesting to me. The believers prayed for Paul. He thanks them for that because it's through their prayers and the hope of the Holy Spirit that he's looking forward to be delivered from his imprisonment. I want to come see you. Remember way back earlier? I have you in my heart. I yearn for you. I want to be with you. He's not yet. But he's praying, and you know the Philippians are praying that he will one day get there. But in between, in, in, the, in between time says, with full courage, now as always, Christ may be honored in my body, whether it be by life and death. I think this is interesting, because Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He desires that Christ be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. He goes on to say, you know, if I stay here, it's good for you because I can continue to encourage and build up and strengthen you. But if I go, it's better for me. He longs for that. I think (laughs) my dear wife and I, I suppose part of it's age, Maybe part of us aches or whatever, but you know, we long more and more for that time when we don't have to suffer. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. A time when we are going to be with our Savior. Christ says, or Paul says, they're praying that he, the Christ, be honored in his body whether by life or death it's not about paul it's about glory in christ so the heart of a man that follows after god is a heart for the believers of encouraging building up longing for um i mentioned how sometimes we linger after church that's good i Long to get here. I enjoy meeting with you, talking with you, building relationships with you. I hope you do the same with the rest of us. Paul has a heart for the gospel. Jeannie and I, as Gideons, um, we have the privilege of giving little testaments out. So when we travel, it might be to a um, hotel, motel, uh, maybe it might be someone at the front desk, it might be someone cleaning the rooms, uh, oftentimes the filling stations, whenever we meet people, as God lays in our heart, we share the gospel, to give, giving them a, a New Testament, showing the helps in the front, and the plan of salvation in the back. I know I'm talking to Dan over here. He's on the road. He's ready to retire, but God won't let him retire because he has the opportunity of talking to people. That's sharing the gospel. We all need to be said, okay, how can God utilize me in sharing the gospel in the realm of, of circumference that I'm in, sharing the gospel? Paul, heart, a heart that follows after God is a heart that is all about Christ, not about me. How often I tend to make it about me. <laughs> yeah. So we come to that last portion, and I think this is where uh, I get kind of, uh, kind of personal. Let me read verse twenty-seven. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mine, striving side by side. That aspect of manner of life is really our walk of life. It's how we live. I, I remember, in fact, if I remember correctly, I had written down in my notes that um, during the uh, Life Action Conference that Ryan was, used this phrase, it tweaked it in a couple of places, what I believe will determine how I behave. Years ago, I was talking to someone that was about this subject, and she came right out and we didn't use that phrase, but she said, I don't think I don't I believe that. I don't think that's right. I don't think I, I agree with that. But if you think about it, if you truly believe not just a head knowledge, a heart knowledge, if you are you committed to Christ, that belief will change your behavior. I think it's in John that says, by your fruit you will know them. And that's where we're going to see that. What I believe will determine how I behave. So Paul says, let your walk, let your manner of life, let your talk, let how you live Maybe it's with your neighbor, maybe it's with a works someone you work with, maybe it's some a business partner, a business that you do business with, maybe it's another student, maybe it's just a you know, just some friends. What you believe will affect your behavior in front of them, before them. And so that's the question I have. What about my heart? What about your heart? Does our heart reflect what we say we believe? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What destroys. Oh, before we get there, what is that proposed law that goes on and says, um, For I'm absent, but there I want you to stand firm in one spirit. Um, Don't be wavering. Don't be shaking. Don't be looking around. Be focused on the very character of Christ. His love for us. He is our focus. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Him. Stand firm. In one spirit. That talks about unity. That talks about getting along. That talks about relationships. Something else that, that I thought was interesting during the the life action conference this phrase came up what destroys unity forgiveness not given by me and forgiveness not sought by me think about that what destroys unity forgiveness that is not given by me by someone who I feel I'm wronged or has wronged me but also forgiveness not sought by me So it's two-sided. We often think, well, they need to come talk to me. We have a responsibility also of going to the individual. That's one thing that destroys unity. But God, Paul, or Paul calls upon us, upon the believers to work in unity. In fact, it goes on and says there, because if you look at that, this is a clear... um, for it has been granted to you for the sake of the Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you say have seen in me, now you hear in me to have. Oh, there it is. Striving side by side. I'm sorry, verse 27. One mind striving side by side, working for the faith of the gospel. Sometimes we look at people and we think, well, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't sing, or I can't preach, or I can't whatever. We're looking the wrong direction. What does God call me to do? In Corinthians, we have each have at least one, probably more, if we admit it, gifts, that He desires for us to use to touch and minister to others through the gospel, through showing Christ. And therefore, we are striving together for the gospel and for the heart of Christ. Then that last phrase is interesting to me. Should we not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake? I don't like to suffer. I don't like to hurt. Anybody else like to hurt? I I don't see a hand raised. Nobody likes to hurt. We don't like to suffer. But you know, there is a point where suffering for Christ is a joy. And in our culture, we don't look at that. I think it's uh, later on in Philippians, it says uh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to his death. I, I, um, I, I need to change my mental thought picture in the area of suffering to providing it's suffering for him that it's an honor to suffer for him. I think Paul looked at it. He was imprisoned. He'd been beaten. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He looked at it as an honor. I know within our congregation there's people with aches and pains and diseases and joints that don't work very good anymore and backs that start, sometimes whatever and, and, and different things. And some of those maybe cause naturally, but there are also the aspect of even in those things, you know, how if God is a sovereign God and He engineers my life to awake, of, of what all takes place, that I can trust Him, that even in the situations that I hurt, may it be for the honor of Christ. I think that's a person whose heart follows after God. That even when I hurt, loss of a loved one, loss of whatever it is, and I'm asking God to you know. I don't want to go out and just look for something to suffer about. But there's an aspect of God, whatever happens in my life, I want to suffer for the cause of Christ. So, in conclusion, ask these questions Does my heart follow hard after God in love for my fellow believers? Now, I'm not talking about the believers you might know in Philippi. Does my heart show God's heart, my fellow believers, here? You and you and you and you. Ask ourselves that question. Does my heart follow hard after God in my love for each other right here? Can I say like Paul, I hold you in my heart. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I enjoy the fellowship. I love to see your smile. I love you to see you serving up here. I love you seeing back at the women's ministries or the men or whatever. Do we have that heart for each other? Does my life reflect the passion of Paul for sharing the gospel? I don't think mine does at this point. But I pray that he will continually embolden me, encourage me as opportunities that He raises into my, my path. I can boldly share the gospel. Is my life here more precious to me than Christ? Am I willing to demonstrate the love of Christ to others, to each other, as well as those out there that are beyond these walls, who need to hear the message of Christ, even if it means to suffer. Um, before the the um, life action conference, as you can tell, it affected me. I was I was touched that week. If if you know, uh, I think many that were here also felt that. Um, we need to be seeking the heart of God we need to be what does God's heart look like we can get a picture of God's heart by looking at Paul's heart our love for each other our love our heart for the gospel and the heart for Christ let's pray Father, we, we simply bow before you because you are truly the living Lord of the universe. And I feel that I'm so short-sighted in, in so many different ways. I, <laughs> I, I remember the, the Wednesday evening service at Life Actions, the summit. i sang it several times, but I need you. I need you every hour I need you father we need you we need you to instill in our hearts the aspect of loving and caring and holding each other close to you we need to have you instill in our hearts a passion for the gospel the people are dying and lost and and literally go into hell when we don't tell them about the saving knowledge of Jesus. They need Jesus. They need to trust Jesus. We need you to give us a continued thirst, a hunger after the heart of Christ. And so, Father, as we've come with, with open hearts to your words, We trust, we desire that your words will change us. Thank you for for all that you do for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.